The scripture reading this evening is Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 and 21. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Good evening. It's good to see you this evening. We're going to jump right in, and I say that because we started this material some time ago, and a lot of things happened between the time we started it and we're getting back to it. But we were, if you recall some time ago, breaking down the book of Genesis, not if you remember anything like that. Feels like it's been a long time ago. So as we were breaking down the book, uh, we, we continually say that the Bible tells one seamless story all the way through it, one seamless account. We use the word story simply to describe the narrative of the narrative account of the Bible. We don't use the word story to, to use the idea of make-believe. We don't mean that. We, we simply mean it's a narrative. It's unfolding, and God is telling it, and it's one continual thread all the way through the Bible. And so we began by way of trying to understand the Bible by focusing on Genesis as the foundation of the rest of the Bible and trying to emphasize the fact that our start point in Genesis really serves us well the rest of the way. And so we talked about six men. Not sure if you remember that or not, so by way of review, we talked the last time we were in this material about Adam and the first five chapters, really, really focusing on him. You have the creation in chapters 1 and chapter 2, uh, the sin of Adam and Eve in chapter 3, chapter 4, Cain and Abel, and then chapter 5, a genealogy. And that really is all that roughly will be said about Adam in the book of Genesis. Fifty chapters, and that's about the amount of material we'll get on, on Adam. Now, he will be referenced later throughout the Bible, but that's it uh, for Genesis. It doesn't mean, as you're reading the Bible, that the person you are reading about and you're no longer reading about, that they suddenly died. It doesn't mean that. Adam actually lives, I think, to be about 950 years old. He's not dead by the time we get to Genesis 5. It's just that that was God's use of informing us about Adam. And if we had a baton, we don't. But the next person then in that chain link would be Noah. And that's what happens in Genesis 5. We have a transition from Adam to Noah. And Noah goes from about chapter 6 to chapter 11. And I'm not sure again if you recall, but we talked about Noah. Now, I say that there's one thread because over in the New Testament, there will often be allusions and connections back to the Old Testament. And so it's important to understand it. For instance, with regards to Adam, 1 Corinthians 15:22 says that Christ is the second Adam. And the Bible will say in Romans 5, 11, following that, for as in Adam all die, also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here are New Testament writers talking about Adam and the significance of his connection to Christ. Well, you'd have to understand Adam first, and you're going to do that in the first five chapters. Noah is going to take us from chapter 6 to chapter 11, and then hopefully we'll have time to circle back and talk about these genealogies. But sure enough, in chapters 10 and 11, there are genealogies. And when we get to chapter 11 and walk all the way through the end of that genealogy, we will end in chapter 11 with Terah, who will have Abram as a son. And immediately in chapter 12, 
you will get the three promises that God makes to Abraham. And these three promises will take us the rest of the Bible. Quite literally, these promises to to Abraham, rather, will even supersede the law of Moses. You couldn't see that in Genesis 12, but it will be true, and the Apostle Paul will discuss as much in Galatians 3. But Adam is going to, Abraham rather, is going to take us from Genesis 12 over to Genesis 25. It's a good portion of the book. And there will be so many things said about Abraham and all that we'll learn and watching his faith and his relationship with God develop and grow. You will do that over the next 13 chapters, 12 to 25. Brings us to where we are now, and that is Isaac. After Abraham will come Isaac, and the promises that God made to Abraham will be then said to Isaac, and then they will be passed on to Jacob. And that is kind of how the Bible will progress. And I'm looking at my notes, and I don't see Isaac. So if you have your Bibles, look there from about chapter 30, or 26 rather, up to 30, will cover Isaac. 26, uh, Isaac will have sons. You'll have the descendants of Ishmael. 26, Isaac will settle in Gerah. Now, when I say these uh, divisions of the book, they're not hard breaks. Uh, The people are still alive very often as you're moving into the next person. And so Abraham and then Isaac from about chapter 30 over to chapter 30. Uh, 26, rather, over to about chapter 30 into 31. When Isaac, for lack of a better word, finishes, when, when God moves from Isaac, it will go to Jacob. And so this will cover from about 31 to 36. Again, the promises extended to each one of these patriarchs will be restated. Look there in Genesis 28. And notice verse number 10 beginning. The promises that God makes to Abraham in Genesis 12, he will reiterate to Isaac and then will be reiterated to Jacob. Genesis 28 and verse number 10, he he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place. He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. He'll stop there because he's about to become the God of Jacob. He hasn't entered this promise in this relationship with Jacob. But to signal Jacob to understand who he is, he will say, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And now to Jacob, the Bible says, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you And your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, that's what he said to Abraham. That's what he said to Isaac. He states it again here to Jacob. Jacob will be the last one to receive these promises. It will be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, going forward, that'll be the moniker. 
That'll be the way God is remembered and understood. You'll remember in Exodus chapter 3 when he appears to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus 3 in the first five verses, he says to Moses, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is developmental in nature. It's not the way he first appeared to Abraham. Back in Genesis 17 and verse 1, I think we made note of this. He said to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk thou before me and be perfect. Then he repeats to Isaac. Then he repeats to Jacob. Jacob, as you know, will marry Rachel and Leah. Each woman will give him her handmaid, and so ultimately Jacob will have four wives, and he will have women by all, or children rather, by all four. He will have a total of 12. This is Genesis 35, verses 22 to 26. He will also have a daughter named Dinah. Jacob's sons will become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. We say these things rather you know, rather lightly without always going back and establishing how they came to be that. Jacob, as we just studied Joseph, we're not yet to him, but we just studied him. When Jacob gets to Egypt, where he will die and ask his bones be taken out, he will give blessings. Notice what he says in Genesis 49. We mentioned her name, Dinah. There was an incident with Dinah that's noteworthy, and that is a king's son desired her and took her and Simeon and Levi her brothers took great exception to the way they treated how he treated their sister and they then in their um, um, I don't want to say deceit I don't want to say that. I want to say another word. I'm searching for that word. Discretion is trying to jump into my mind. I'm not sure. In their plan, this man and his people wanted to uh, take Dinah and marry her, and he wanted to merge families. Let your people be our people, and we will be your people, and we'll all be one people. And her brothers, Levi and Simeon, said, great, we'll do it but you need to be circumcised first. And when those men were circumcised and sore, they went and they killed them. And they killed all the males. And then they robbed them and took their things. And then they took some of the women. And Jacob, upon hearing that, was grieved and vexed. And he says, you have done this to me. You've made me to stink into the inhabitants of the land. And they now have cause to attack me. Jacob is now about to die, and he's handing out blessings. And in Genesis 49 and verse 5, he mentions those two boys and this incident. And he says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Levi and Simeon, then, will not be like the rest of the tribes. In fact, they will be replaced by Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And that's the way the tribes later, when we're dividing up the land, Levi won't get land, he will get cities because they'll be the priests. And Simeon will be grafted into Judah in the book of Judges. And these two tribes will be replaced by Manasseh and Ephraim. That's Genesis 48 and verse 9 and verse 10. Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. I'll pause here long enough to say that when we talked about Isaac a couple of weeks ago, we already talked about Isaac. That's why I didn't talk about him again. That's right. When we talked about Isaac trying to give the birthright to Esau, whom he loved, we mentioned the fact that he had all of his senses except sight. And I said, potentially it could have been providential. I said, it could be, I don't know that. This is one or more of the reasons I don't know that. Because Jacob also can't see when he's old. Maybe it's a family genetic issue, bad eyesight. I don't know, I'm just saying again, I don't know. But he couldn't see, neither can Jacob. His eyes are dim. Down in verse 15, the Bible says, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on. And in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Joseph tried to stop this because of the way he was blessing the children, the younger instead of the older, but Joseph, uh, Jacob pressed on. As you work your way through the Bible and you get to Jacob, this is the section. Now they're down in Egypt, and we would have started with Joseph some time ago. All of these events are going on. So it's Adam from chapters 1 to 5. It's Noah from chapters 6 through 11. It's Abraham from chapters 12 to 25. It's Isaac from 26 to 30. It's Jacob from 31 to 36. And from 37 to 50, it's Joseph. There's six men in all of the history of the book of Genesis. And the point of all of that is the book is not intended to be a book of your and my interest and curiosities. It is not intended to satisfy every thought and whim and wonder that we have. It's not the point of the book. The point is to ultimately deal with the issue of sin and how God is ultimately going to triumph victoriously over sin and death and how God, through Jesus, is going to enable us to have access back to him through our Lord. And how are we going to get to the cross where that occurs? We're going to start here in Genesis, and God is going to use these men to further his plan and carry out that which ultimately will culminate in the Christ. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. As we just studied, again, wonderful week last week with VBS. Joseph's oldest brothers hated him, chapter 37 and verse 4. They thought of killing him, and that was the, the pervading plan uh, in the moment. By God's grace and providence, Joseph was spared, went down into Egypt. He was able to interpret dreams by God's ability and giving him that knowledge. 
and all of these things were overseen and occurred by God's providence, which is what we had read in Genesis 50. As Joseph now looks back on all of the events, and for the most part, that's really the only way we can have any concept of understanding providence. It's very hard in the moment. I imagine if we had dropped a pen at any point in Joseph's life and asked him, is God doing this? He would have had a very hard, if not impossible, time of saying, oh yeah, this is all going to work out. God's going to see to it. No, he went to check on his brothers and he ended up sold. Was not his idea of the day. I'm pretty sure he had thought he was going back home to see his father that very day. That's what he was sent out to do. That was the plan. But now having gone through it all, and looking back over it, Joseph says these things to his brothers. Verse number 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. And part of the reason they say this is, well, their father is dead. And up to this point, it appears that they believed that the reason they hadn't received any retribution from Joseph was that Jacob's presence was holding Joseph at bay. I say that because of verse 15 in Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? That's their thinking, not Joseph's thinking. And so in verse 18, they fall down before Joseph and they say, we're your servants. And this is what Joseph said. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. But note the reason. We'll have to study Lord's will, providence, another time, and it's a study unto its, itself. But a lot of times what we do with providence is we make it about us. You talk to somebody about the providence of God, and suddenly it's all about them. Joseph says, you meant it for evil against me. That's what you did. He says, but God meant it for good. Joseph doesn't mean he meant it for good for my life. He doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean you tried to harm me, but God put a shield over me and protect me and kept me from you. That's the way God— No, it's not what it means. In fact, just keep reading. Notice what he says. God meant it for good. Why? In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Why do we need many people alive? Not just any many people. Why do we need these people alive? Because of the promises God made to Abraham. In thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How is the Christ going to come? From this people. That's how he's going to come. And if this people is no more, then Christ can't come. And so God's protection, if you will use that word, his overwatching of Joseph, though it benefits Joseph's life, is not the end to benefit Joseph's life, it's to use Joseph's life to bring about his purposes, which inevitably, that's the goal. The individuals that are used will be benefited because if God uses you in his service, especially as you're working your way to the cross, there might be some benefits for you if for no other reason than God shined in favor to use you in his service. Well, praise God for that. But it's not as if the end is I want to help you exclusively, and that's where we're going to stop. No, Joseph's life is 
part of the process of moving us to the Christ. You open up Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible will say the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. We aren't yet to David, but if you'll take those two men, we got to get there. We got to get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and then eventually we got to get to the house of David. Insofar as David is concerned, we didn't talk about it, but here in chapter 50 or 49 and 50 with the blessings, one of the tribes that will be blessed is Judah. The tribe of Judah will be told, Genesis 49:10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah till Shiloh comes. To him, the gathering of the people shall be. Well, the one who's going to come from Judah is ultimately the Christ. The seed of Abraham from the tribe of Judah will come, and he will have a scepter. He will be a king. He will rule. Eventually, that will go through the family of David. We get to Egypt in the, old, in the next book, and we'll move on with Moses and so forth. The time we have remaining, let's circle back and talk about these genealogies. They were intended, they are intended, to move the mystery forward. They connect us from one person to the next as God continually reveals the account. And so sometimes you'll be reading along, and the account will stop, and basically well, again, lack of a better word, you just hit a dead end. It, it won't tell you any more about that person. It won't tell you any more about the events. It won't tell you any more. Just pivot and move on, and you'll stop. The best thing you can do in reading the Bible is if God stops, you stop. And if God starts a new thread, take the new thread. Now, you can stand there and wonder and guess and, and surmise, but you won't know if God didn't say it. And the genealogies are designed to do that. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 1, this is after Cain and Abel, and we're about to move into the transition from Adam to Noah. And so chapter 5 and verse 1 opens, this is the book of the generations, very often the genealogies of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man or Adam in the day when they were created. And then it starts when Adam lived 130 years, he became, and this will go on, but keep reading over to about verse 28, that same chapter. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah saying, this one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands, from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Chapter 6, now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and you will start from here to read about Noah. How'd you get to Noah? Well, there'll be no mention of Noah in the first parts, it's Adam. And then chapter 5 will give us a genealogy. The beginning of that genealogy will be Adam. Before we end that genealogy, we'll be talking about Noah. Having been introduced to Noah, then we will spend the rest of the next several chapters, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, talking about Noah. When we get to 10, coincidentally, now we've come off the ark, Genesis chapter 9. There is the rainbow that God promised. There is the 
the law of justice and law in order. Verse number six, whosoever shed man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for the image of God. He made him man. As for you, be fruitful, multiply. We'll get to that section and look at chapter 10. Now, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Prior to that, we would have gotten the genealogy beginning back up, verse number 8. Then God spoke to Noah, uh, verse number 18. Now, the sons of Noah who came off the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it starts. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah. From these, the whole earth was populated. Chapter 10. Now, these are the, again, the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah. The sons were born to him after the flood. The sons of Japheth were. And so, you start with Noah, then his sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and then you get Japheth here in verse number 2, Gomer, you know any of these people? Gomer, Magog, Medea, Tubal, Javan. There are so many people mentioned in the Bible, we don't know anything about them. But they're mentioned as part of the genealogy to connect us. So you start here with Japheth. Some believe that makes him the firstborn. I don't know, maybe. You get down to verse 6, the Bible will say the sons of Ham were Cush and Mizraim and put in Canaan. And you get over to verse 21, and the Bible will say, also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber and the older brother. And so you have now all three sons mentioned. You have Japheth, Ham, and Shem in chapter 10. You get to chapter 11, these first several verses, you will have the Tower of Babel. But look at chapter 11 and verse 10. You're not going to again talk about the sons of Japheth. You're not going to again talk about the sons of Ham. But there is a circle back to Shem. Why Shem? Verse number 10 says, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, became the father of Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived. And then you continue. Down to about verse 26, the Bible will say, Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldees. Abram and Nahor took wives. Verse 31, Terah took Abram his son. Verse 32, the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, and from chapter 12 over to chapter 25, you will be talking about Abram. It's not accidental. It's not unintentional. We move from Adam to Noah to Abram, and then it just continues this way all the way through. The Sometimes you'll get a short genealogy that will again in its appearance, not really make any sense by way of connection. Look over in chapter 22. Chapter 22 of Genesis is that great chapter on Abraham's faith and God's testing it and Abraham coming through with flying colors because he believed in the Lord and he did. He did what God said. He offered his son to the Lord. And as you're reading through that chapter, you get to about verse number 14 or 13. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. We reach points in the Bible like this, and we're just on the sidelines cheering. Woo! 
that's fantastic. He didn't kill Isaac. Praise God, he provided the ram. And, and, and there's all this imagery and similarity as you work your way through the Bible. You'll read Isaiah 53, you'll read of the cross of Christ, and these are all shadows and things of those kinds of events, and it's wonderful. And then if you just keep reading, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing. And you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now, it came about after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Well, the Bible is not really intending to simply give us birth announcements. What does Abraham's brother having a child have to do with us? But if you just keep reading— you may not know many of the people, but one or two names will stand out. The Bible will say, Uz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, and Camille, the father of Aram, and Kasid, and Hazo, and Pildash, and Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Now, Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Ruama, also bore Teba and Gaham and Tarshish and Mekah. And while we may have no record of any of those other people, it will not be long from here before we meet Rebekah. She will be Isaac, Abraham's son's wife. That will be Rebekah, the father, the daughter of Bethuel. When the servant goes and looks for Isaac, a wife, this what we're introduced here, because from here it will not be long before we're talking about. This is the way the genealogies work. In Genesis 38, you have a similar situation. I think I mentioned it when we were teaching about Joseph. You have this, again, this chapter 37, so pivotal in Joseph's life. He has the dreams. His father loves him. His brothers hate him. He goes to check on them. He's told where they are. They throw him in the pit. They eat as if it's a light thing, and they're still thinking about killing him. And Reuben steps in, and Judah steps in, and ultimately Judah convinces them to sell him, don't kill him. And you're reading that along. And th the next thing about Joseph is we have to jump to chapter 39, because in 39 is when he arrives at Potiphar's house, and now he's in the house, and he's excelling, and then Miss Potiphar cast her eyes on him, and we read that. What happened in 38? We didn't study it, because again, it seemed to have nothing <laughs> to do with the narrative that we were reading. Judah goes off when he is shearing sheep, and sleeps with a woman, gets her pregnant, and eventually we find out 
It's his, it's his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and the reason she does what she does is because Judah had promised her a son, one of his sons, because the other two sons died, and she was waiting patiently, and he refused. And all of that is in chapter 38. But go over to about verse 27. It came about at the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So he was named Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and he was named Zerah. We turn over to the book of Ruth. You remember Ruth, the Moabite, who was f very difficult times and all that she lost, her husband, her sons. She had two daughter-in-laws. You remember how loyal uh, Ruth and Naomi, Naomi and Ruth rather, and how, how loyal Ruth uh, and the relationship that they had. And do not make me go where you go, I'll go. Your people will be my people. And all the way through the book, we get to chapter 4. Verse number 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went in to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons have given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these are the generations of Perez. That's Genesis 38. Perez was born to Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Amenadab, and Amenadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz, Obed. And to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. If you were to read Matthew 1, you will read those names in the genealogy of our Lord. You'll be reading along, and it will appear. Well, they have nothing to do. There's no connection. No, as you are working your way through the Bible, please understand, you are not reading a history book, although it's historical. You're not reading a science book. It always throws me when Christians say, well, religion versus science. There's no verses. God is the source of all truth. Whatever God says is going to be harmony and truth to it. But this is not a science book, though it has pre-scientific information. It's not a science book. It has all of these wonderful things in it. It's not a self-help book, although it will certainly help your life. It is a book from heaven about how God, who loves the world, is going to overcome the problem of sin for humanity. And by overcoming that issue of sin, secure and save men from death, eternally so. And because of the overcoming of sin and death with the power of his resurrection, we get to live free from sin now 
Jesus would call it the abundant life. You get it now, and you get to go to heaven. Now listen, I don't know what you have in your mind that you want from God. I don't know. People want God to give them things. Fine. What if he did? What if he gave you your heart's desire? You name it, you can have it. I don't know what you would ask for, but let's throw a few things on the table. Let's say you ask to live 999 years. Great, you can live 999 years. Let's say you ask for, I'd like two things. I'd like 999 years and a billion dollars. Yours, there you go. Let's say I want all of my family to be healthy and never get sick and never have an issue. I just want us to be done. There you go. It's not the case that the God of heaven doesn't have the ability to give every individual, how many ever there are, six billion, eight billion, nine billion, how many ever there are, exactly and everything they want. But at some point, you're going to die. What are you going to do there with what you got? God didn't give us, the way our minds work, what we think we want. What he did was the one thing we cannot do. We can't forgive ourselves of sin. We can't fix it so we can get back to him once we sin. And we can't fix it so we can go to heaven. Now, if you get everything you want here, but you cannot go to heaven, you will lose. And no matter what you get, it will not equal your eternal soul's destination. What God has done for us is overcome the issue of sin, forgiven our souls, cleansed our consciences, saved us, given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, given us the church, his church, his son's church, the community, the body, family, husband, I mean, mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, and then eternal life. Now, if you have that, and you have the very best this life can offer, and if you and I don't live like it, and that's not a problem that God has created. That's a problem we've created. That's not a failure of God. That is a failure of us to appreciate what God has done. When you're reading the Bible, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This is what you're reading in this book. And you're going to start in the book of Genesis and read how he got there. And this is how he did. Not a Christian tonight become one. There is no better life. Some people sometimes say things like, well, even if Christianity is not true, that always just makes me quiver right there. <laughs> even if Christianity is not true, it's still the best. No, it's not. 
Living like a Christian makes no sense if Christianity is not true. Paul says as much. If there is no resurrection, if there's nothing beyond this life, if in this life we only have hope, then let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's the way to live if it's not true. There is no other thing. Ah, you can make up a thing if, you, if it makes you feel better, but Paul's not wrong. But it is true. And since it's true, and friends, you've got to live this way in order to enjoy the rich blessings of this life that God has promised and provided and ultimately go home with him in heaven. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Change your heart, change your mind. The Bible calls it repentance. Confess the name of Jesus. Say it. Jesus is the Son of God. Confess that and be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. If you will do that, God will save you, wash away all your sins, make you his child, add you to his family, write your name in the book of life. And when this life is over, then God will welcome you home. And friends, if you have done that, I hope you will live the abundant life Christ has provided now and look forward to heaven after a while. We can help you in any way. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.